All right, guys, welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. We're getting in kind of a groove now. Today, me and Connor are joined by the great bracketologist, NCAA basketball extraordinaire, Lucas Harkins. Lucas, how are you doing? Good, how are you? A little over the top, but good. <laughs> well, you know, I do what I can, do what I can. A lot on tap today. We talk about the latest going on in college basketball, but first, we want to talk about the games of the weekend. Connor, was there anything? Any result in particular that stood out to you? Um, one result that I thought stood out to me was San Francisco getting absolutely handled by St. Mary's. I feel like San Francisco needed that win to really stay in the bubble conversation, and it wasn't even close. St. Mary's, from the opening tip to the end of the game, just controlled the entire flow of that game. Yeah, I, I really like San Francisco, but I, they're, they're not holding serve in conference play to where I, I, I don't see them getting a tournament bid now unless they, uh, they're they able to win the conference tournament. Lucas, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. They rank relatively highly in quality metrics, but on the whole, they don't have a single quadrant one win. One in quadrant two puts them at one and four in the two most important record standings. Um, and they're sitting pretty poorly in KPI at 72nd. Uh, they have relatively decent rankings on the whole, but without any opportunities to snag a Quadrant 1 or Quadrant 2 win pretty much left on the schedule, um, I don't think they're going to get an at-large bid, especially when you consider they're going to lose at least one more game if they need to get an at-large bid. Yeah. Well, what what, what other result maybe stood out to you this weekend or, or late last week that kind of surprised you or, or told you a lot? Well, to me, nothing was more surprising than Indiana going on the road and beating Michigan State. It, it was fair, especially when you consider Tuan Morgan didn't play in the second half. I, I walk. I was talking all day about how that was a twenty to thirty point game waiting to happen, and it went to overtime, and the Hoosiers came out victorious to put themselves back into pretty solid tournament consideration, especially when they lost seven straight games prior to that. Yeah, well, a common theme that we'll, we'll talk about this episode is bubble talk, and I think Indiana. Uh, maybe put themselves back on the right side of the bubble mm-hmm. with that win. Connor, what did, what did you think of Indiana's performance and what it maybe means for them going forward? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it, it can only help Indiana. Uh, they were kind of falling and falling hard uh, as of late, and that win over Michigan State will definitely put them right back in that bubble tournament conversation. But I also think that it says a lot. I think Michigan State is really starting to miss Joshua Langford mm-hmm. because – they lost at Purdue. They lost to Indiana. Um, as we're recording this right now, they're they're losing pretty badly to Illinois. So, yeah, the wheels are, are kind of starting to fall off there. And I know when we had talked about the Big Ten a couple weeks ago, a lot of us had said Michigan State was the team to beat there. But now, I mean, we're looking at a situation where you have a struggling Michigan and a red hot Purdue team leading the Big Ten. So I think that might be an interesting race to watch coming down. Uh, Of course, it seems like everybody else in that conference is on the bubble. The same is kind of true in the Big East. You have have Marquette and Villanova up there kind of at the top, top 15 teams in the country. But after that, it's just a whole lot of uncertainty in bubble teams. Lucas, I know you follow the conference Mm -hmm. very closely. What's maybe – one one big takeaway for you so far from conference play, and, and who do you like, and who do you think is a little bit overrated? 
I mean, I think the biggest takeaway is I have no idea what's going on. And I don't think anybody really has any idea what's going on. Uh, I mean, you look at it and it's just, okay, Villanova's going to get a protected seed, top four probably. Marquette's probably going to do the same. And then everyone else is going to be hopefully a double-digit seed at best. Uh, I think St. John's of the next group has the best chance to maybe get into an 8-9 game. But outside of that, I don't really see much going on. And I look at the teams, and I'm like, none of them outside of Villanova and Marquette really look like tournament teams. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, someone's going to have to get bids, and they aren't going to come from the Pac-12 or the American. Like, I, I, look, I look at those conferences also. It's just like there's three conferences that are pretty high bid, in quotes, mm-hmm. and that are struggling this year. And I think to think the Big East is going to get less than three or four teams is probably not going to happen. Well, who do, you, who do you think those teams are then that, that might get those bids? So Villanova and Marquette are locks. I think St. John's is in the strongest position of that next group. Um, and then I think the highest ceiling goes to Seton Hall because they have two really strong wins that no one else really has, and that's over Maryland and Kentucky. And then Butler and Creighton are also involved. Um, I don't think either any of those three are really out of the tournament. I have, I mean, like out of the tournament consideration mm-hmm. i'm all three of them in my first four out as of this morning almost in a row which i just <laughs> could not believe but it's the way it is and i, I think each team is going to struggle down the stretch but as i've said since conference play started nine and nine in the big east i think gets in yeah with, that's a, with a win in the big t- with a win in the big east tournament so really 10 and mm-hmm. 10 gets in well, Connor, who do who do you like in that bubble conversation in the Big East behind a Marquette and behind a Villanova? Uh, I mean, I I think you have to say St. John's is probably at the top. Um, I I don't really like their resume as most people don't, but at sixteen and six and and four and five, uh, you know, at, at the top of the the rest of the conference, you have to kind of put them in there. I think Seton Hall is better than they've played. And I don't know why they played so poorly. Can't win on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one thing, too, as Lucas mentioned, Seton Hall probably has the best non-conference resume Mm -hmm. of anybody in the Big East, and that's going to help them in the bubble conversation. What I think helps St. John's is everyone talked about how poor their non-conference schedule was. But with how weak the bubble is this year, you're going to look at their 21, 22 wins that they may end up with, even if they don't uh, play that well down the stretch. And it's going to be hard to keep a team just with that many wins from a power conference. It's going to be hard to leave them out of the tournament, I think, which is going to be interesting to see how the committee decides to handle that. Um, And I think with St. John's also is they have – I know we don't really talk about it very often, but I think people do look at the last – 10 games a little bit more than they probably should in terms of how it's looked at from a resume perspective. And they finish easier than just about anybody else in the conference. Um, They still have Providence twice. They still have Xavier twice. They still have DePaul. Um, And those are six games. Those are five games they should win. Yeah. And even though they take care of those, you get to what, 21? Yeah. You're at 21 wins with a nine and nine conference record. Yeah, um, and if you throw in another like win over Mark, if you throw in another one over Marquette or a win over Villanova, which would be going on so, right now, yeah. So that then they're, uh, you know, th- th- there's, then there's not a question about them. I, I think yep. in my mind, so that's um, something to watch down the stretch for sure. Um, 
And I'm not, and I'm not going to say that Seton Hall's not. I mean, that St. John's isn't maybe the most important team to the rest of the conference too. If St. John's starts to get hot and picks up wins over um, both Providence games, they'll start to become a good win for the other bubble teams in the conference. Yeah, and that's one of the things that sunk the Pac-12 is the fact that nobody was good enough to be that good win for other people. And so you have, even if teams are winning games, outside of Washington, who's winning everything, no one's able to pick up that kind of game-changing win, so to speak. Um, Connor, uh, talk about the bubble, but at the top in the Big East, it's very clearly Marquette and Villanova. Who do you like of those two teams, and maybe how would you compare the two? Um. Right now, I think that I would still stick with Villanova at the top of that conference. I know that Marquette is ranked higher. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Villanova just lot of, lost a lot from last year mm-hmm. and had to really round into form. But right now, I mean, Villanova's firing on all cylinders. And yes, Marquette has Marcus Howard. And if he can go off, they can win any given night. But I'm still going to take Villanova. And I think that this game at Marquette uh, on Thursday, Thursday or Saturday, whenever it is, is going to be a, a big uh, tell-all. I think if they can keep it close at Marquette, then I'll pick them to win at home and probably win the tournament. But, it, you know, it depends. <laughs> I, I personally don't trust Villanova come tournament time. Uh, I think they're better than we saw in non-conference play but they still have some flaws that can't be fixed. I don't think their talent level is at the, the anywhere near the level it's been at the past couple of years, which gives them somewhat of a, of a very visible ceiling when it comes to going up against the other top teams in the country. Uh, and I think a lot of their success in conference play, at least this year, comes from just a mental edge that they have over everybody else, knowing that they're Villanova and knowing that they've done this for so many years. It's the same thing that Kansas has in the Big 12, Duke and UNC have in the ACC, no matter how different or, or, or poor they may look compared to other seasons, they use conference play to get right, even if they're not playing up to their potential. They're still able to stack up those wins somehow, and I think we're seeing that kind of from Villanova in the Big East. Lucas, do, do you like Villanova, or are you lean more Marquette? I always like Villanova. Uh, I mean, they're 18-4. and four. They're 9-0 and in conference. They're playing at an incredibly high level on both ends of the floor. Their defense is better. They have two proven seniors. Colin Gillespie's is merging as a legit third option offensively. Um, and I think now we've seen that they can consistently shoot for an extended period of time. Like across across games, they're starting to hit shots. And that just they're such a good three-point shooting team who shoots a ton of threes. They're the team that if they get hot, they are a team that can make a deep run in the tournament. Another team I want to talk to you guys about is Georgetown because I think when Patrick Ewing took over a year and a half ago, no one was really sure what to make of one, the hire, and two, if Georgetown could get back to being one of the, I guess, marquee programs in the sport. And they're certainly not back there yet, but they've made a ton of strides in just a year and a half since Ewing's been there and aren't in the tournament, but are kind of getting into that bubble conversation now with the way they've played in conference play. Connor, what, what are you seeing from Georgetown? What do you like? What do you not like? Um, what do you think the future holds for them and, and Ewing? I think that Ewing, in terms of how much leeway he has moving forward, I think he has maybe a little bit more leeway than Mullen does because I think that St. John's just has more talent or higher expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that a lot of their their losses now are are beginning to look a, a bit worse than they did when they were heading into conference play. That LMU loss in particular sticks out to me. Yep. Um, because LMU obviously heading into conference WCC play was looking like a team to to compete at the top, and they've kind of slipped. Um, and I I don't I don't know. I mean, their only wins in conference though are Butler, Providence, and they have that one win at St. John's. But uh, I I just I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the team. But I think that Ewing may be doing a little bit better of building the program than Mullen at St. John's. <laughs> What do you think, Lucas? Because I think Georgetown, I think they're a step ahead of where people thought they were going to be, and I really like the future of this team. But I kind of agree with Connor where I don't think that they should be sniffing around the tournament conversation right now. Yeah, I think I've been higher on Patrick Ewing as a head coach than most people, strictly because he had 15 years of coaching experience in the NBA as an assistant. He's not coming out of nowhere as just a former NBA Hall of Famer who wants to coach college hoops. Um, he knows what he's doing as a coach, and I think he's – doing a nice job on the recruiting trail. I think they're still a year or two away from really making the tournament, but they're obviously progressing in the right direction. While their wins in non-conference haven't exactly – I mean, their losses have not aged all that well. As Connor pointed out, the LMU loss is pretty poor. So is losing to SMU at home. That has not helped um, as SMU has really struggled. Um, Their win over Liberty has done a pretty good job, even though they lost to Lipscomb this past week. But – I don't think they're a tournament team, but I think they're knocking on the door in the future. I really like, I, I think, Akinjo and McClung as their long-term backcourt. I think that's going to be one of the better backcourts in the country next year. And yet a lot of people f- forgot that Ewing had all those years of NBA experience coming into the job at Georgetown. I think people were really quick to compare him to Chris Mullen mm-hmm. uh, and some other guys who had just come into the college game and were somewhat ignorant about the fact that he paid his dues at the NBA level and came to college, not because he wasn't qualified, but because that was a, a job that intrigued him. I think it's an excellent job recruiting. I've been actually really impressed with his X's and O's just on the court for the most part, getting the most out of kind of a team that isn't one of the more talented ones in the Big East, but still making them competitive against a large majority of the conference. Uh, I, I really like the direction that they're headed, and I, I think next year is going to be a big year for them assuming that, that both McClung and Akinjo stay healthy and, and return to school, which, you know, is no given nowadays. As long as they avoid the step back one-legged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're a team that probably needs to win the conference tournament to get in the NSA tournament. And with that, as crazy as the Big East is, I think it's pretty wide open. Connor, who who would you think maybe a dark horse team that could win the Big East tournament and steal that automatic bid and, and steal a bid from the bubble? Um, can I say DePaul? I mean, I I think no, that no, it's... no, you can't. You can't. <laughs> yeah, <anybody> wrong. <laughs> they haven't won more than three games in a row all season. Um, I, I kind of want to say Creighton. I kind of want to say that you know if if Alexander gets hot and and some of their other players get hot, they they could win a bunch of games in a row that they're not expected to win. Um, but other than them, I mean, you the, the defaults would be Seton Hall and St. John's. Mm-hmm. I hate you. <laughs> it's got to be Butler, right, Lucas? I mean, I'm going to avoid saying that for the sake of going biased, <laughs> but um, I don't think anyone beats Mark Gatton Villanova. 
back to back, which is probably what they're going to have to do. Yeah. I just don't think that happens. I would agree with that. I think if anybody would, I, I think it kind of, kind of a cop out, but I think it would be St. John's just because I could see Shimori catching fire and, and kind of doing his thing like he did in, in November and, and that one stretch last year against Duke and, and Villanova. But yeah, I, I think it's Marquette or Villanova, and I don't know if anybody else gets in in that title game. Yeah, I mean, you, I you just like putting me in a in a position to to answer the dark horse question while struggling and then copying out, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yep. <laughs> My go-to move there. Speaking, I, think, of, speak- I do think the best chance someone has of that Seton Hall Creighton Butler group is, or someone else for that matter, is St. John's getting the three beating Marquette and meeting in the championship game against St. John's for someone beating Villanova. Yeah. So both you have like, cause I like, the St. John, I like the St. John's Marquette matchup. So if Villanova wins the conference and you get a St. John's Marquette matchup, I think St. John's mm-hmm. can win that one. And that's an easier matchup for the rest of the conference. If so they that, can get past Nova. Right. So that'd be Villanova Marquette, both losing like the semis. Yep. Yeah. Well, certainly wouldn't be the, you know, the first time that happens, especially no. in the big East tournament. Never count out M. Cooley at Madison Square Garden. That's true. That's a good point. Now, I think a lot of people have the player of the year race. We're going to pick a player of the year in the conference. A lot of people, I think, have that as Shamori Pons or Marcus Howard. I think Howard kind of has a clear lead there, and there are some other contenders kind of lurking, lurking behind those two, ready to, to challenge with a strong February. Connor, uh, of those two, who do you like, and do you think there's anybody else who could challenge them? I, I like Marcus Howard. I think that uh, assuming Marquette finishes top two without any really big losses, although they're losing to St. John's right now, I think that Marcus Howard probably walks away easily. Um, but if St. John's can make a run finish as a clear third, then I think that's when you get Shamori Pons in there. Uh, if Villanova goes undefeated, obviously you have to look at Phil Booth. Yeah, I, he's someone who, who's in that conversation, lurking behind those two. Lucas, do you think he has a real chance? And who would your pick be at this point? I'm picking Marcus Howard, but Phil Booth is right behind him to me. I mean, I think, on the whole, I think Villanova is going to finish conference at something like a ridiculous 14-2 or two and 15-1 and one that we didn't expect coming. Um, mm-hmm. And if that happens, I mean, Booth probably gets 21-5 and five a game for the best team in the conference. He might not be the hottest name in the conference, but it's hard to imagine leaving out the best player on the best team if that ends up happening. It'll be interesting to see if that happens and if Marquette maybe finishes a clear number two with three or four conference losses and Howard maybe puts up another 40-point game and kind of see how voters balance Howard's the way he's played all year and Booth's team success. Okay. I think that'll be interesting. Well, because we, we would be remiss if we didn't have you on and talk about the bubble and and say tournament seating and teams to maybe need to play their way in this month or maybe playing their way out right now. Um, I know you got a great piece on bubble watch up on bustingbrackets.com. Who on the bubble right now do you think is in the most trouble and needs to prove the most uh, in the next month or so? Um. I think when I look, I, I think the team that's in the in the most trouble that probably shouldn't be is Arizona State. 
Uh, I think they're right around the cut line right now, and there are just so many potential bubble bursters in that conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, where if they lose two or three more games, which is totally possible, they finish at Oregon, at Oregon State, at Arizona, which are tough games yeah. um, for a team that's probably going to sit in the bubble unless they, because there's really they really only have one resume building chance left on the resume, and that's at home against Washington, which is a good win for resume purposes, but not it might not even be a quadrant one win. Yeah, and that'll be that's the Pac-12's problem, right? Is the fact that everybody was so bad that there there isn't an opportunity for a big win. Do you think that the Pac-12 gets more than one team in, or do you think they're a one bid league? I think Arizona State gets in personally. I think they're going to be able to make it through. I think that they're in a tough spot because they just don't really have that many opportunities left. Even in the Big East, you look at guys who still teams that still have Marquette and Villanova left. That's a much bigger win than than Washington. Yeah, and that, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Now, because the bubble is so weak this year and there's a, there's a good group of mid-majors, I think, in the country who are, have some quality at-large resumes, which mid-major teams do you think might be able to kind of sneak in in that bubble conversation as an at-large team, maybe in the first four, but as an at-large team should they lose the conference tournament, outside of the Gonzagas and Nevada and Buffalo, of course? So for no particular reason, I'm in love with the Wofford resume. Okay. Why? Um, well, they're nineteen and four. They don't really have a bad loss. They've lost on the road to Oklahoma, Kansas, Mississippi State, and then lost at home to North Carolina. None of those you can really complain about. Um, and I think they're going to continue to roll through SoCon play. And if they enter the if they enter Selection Sunday at like twenty six and six or something, I think when they already rank extremely high in metrics used by the committee, where I think it'd be hard to leave them out. Yeah, I, th- it's going to be interesting for me if it goes into a conversation between like a, a Wofford and Lipscomb or maybe even a Wofford and UNCG if someone else, maybe like a Furman were to win the SoCon tournament and how those three teams kind of all, all play out against each other. Connor, do you like any of these mid-majors to potentially get an at-large bid or do you think that they'll all kind of be left out if they don't win the conference tournament? It's hard. I think that the, the bubble is – because the you know bottom end those eight nine ten eleven seeds are all going to be relatively weak given the eye test, I think that you're going to have a lot of these mid majors that are going to have stronger comparative resumes. So it comes down to how much they weigh, you know, teams that play in tougher conferences. Um, I like Lipscomb. I like Wofford. I agree with Lucas. I'd probably give the edge to Wofford, but. I've had Wofford um, as a 10 seed for two weeks. Yeah. I think, I think, and we've been talking about it all season. So many of these stronger conferences are quote, losing bids, unquote, that there's going to be a lot of bids up for grabs. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily sold that a lot of those open bids are going to go to mid majors. I still think that we're going to have a very power conference, heavy tournament. That's been a problem in the past, I think, is when we get those, like last year, Middle Tennessee losing the conference tournament, ranked in the top 25 a couple weeks before then, lost in the conference tournament, and suddenly they're, they're on the outside looking in. St. Mary's wins 27 games. I had my own problems with the resume, but they were still the major team that went 27-5 and five last year and, and didn't make the cut. Lucas, who do you have right now as maybe your last four in and first four out or, or teams who are right there on the bubble that – 
really kind of needed to make an impression in the next couple weeks. So entering today, my last four in were Minnesota, Temple, Arizona State, and Florida. And Florida just makes me cringe. Um, oh, they're so bad. And then my first four out are Creighton, Butler, Utah State, and Seton Hall. <laughs> well, Utah State's a team that, that we haven't talked about and I didn't mention in that major conversation. Um, what what do we like about their resume? Why should we consider them as a legitimate at-large contender? I think they're one of the teams that will be a good gauge for how much the committee is going to pressure the – I mean, is going to use the, the net. They're in the top 40 in the net. They're probably going to keep rising as they win in conference play. And they're going to have a good record. I think that that's going to be an interesting team to look at. They have really only one bad loss in their resume, which isn't really all that bad. They lost at BYU. Um, their issue is not a lot of good wins in general. They have a win over St. Mary's at a neutral site, which is solid. But on the whole, they don't really have the wins the rest of the bubble teams have. So I think they're a team that if they creep into the top 30 of the net, they could make some noise and selections on it. Now – Every year since since the first four started, there's been a team that has won both the first four game and then the first round game and made at least the second round of the tournament. The bubble is, is weak this year, but there are still some fairly talented teams, I would say, at the high major and mid-major level that will probably end up playing in that game. Connor, uh, of those bubble teams might end up in that game, is there anybody that you think could make a Sweet 16 runner or win a couple games in the tournament? Uh so I'm looking right now at Lucas's bracketology from this morning. Yeah, put it on one fact, slide for you. Yeah, and who, <laughs> who he has as that uh, in those first four games uh, with Arizona State, Florida, Temple, and Minnesota. The only team of those four uh, that I think could make a Sweet 16 run is Minnesota. I'm not sold on Arizona State. It seems like once the new year hits, that last year and this year, they kind of fizzle out. Let's not um, say the same thing about Oklahoma yet, right? <laughs> they uh they're doing they're doing better this year than they did last year in conference play but the pac-12 obviously is at the weakest it's been in a long time um so yeah i don't know it, it's it's hard because it tends to be a five a 12-5 you know matchup for those first mm -hmm. four games and i think that the distance between the fives and the twelves this year might be greater than it has been in years past I think that might be the case uh, for for some five seeds, but a lot of the time, uh, a lot of these I'm seeing like a Maryland on the five line uh, and a Wisconsin on the five line, like teams who are quality teams, but also have very major flaws. So I think the potential is there for a good deal of first round upsets. I think we'll see. I think there's a, a fine line between maybe ones and twos, uh, and you can even throw some three seeds in there. Uh, from everybody else, and we've seen that kind of with the top eight, nine, ten teams in the country all being the same throughout the past couple of months. So I, I think this could be a tournament where we see a lot of first-round upsets. Lucas, do you agree, disagree? Uh, what's your views on, on kind of the disparity between some of the teams on these seed lines? Yeah, I mean, I think every year we have this little bit of conversation where it's like, is this going to be a year there's a ton of upsets because there's really only like a select few good teams. And there's either two ways of that happening. And either there's a ton of upsets or there's no upsets. Um, and I think if you're going to build a bracket in March, I hope you have a lot of ones and twos in your final four. Could because this be a year where all four, all four number one seeds make it? 
Um, I, I mean, I've been a, I've wavered between whether it's six or seven teams, but I think there's that group of six or seven is easily the top teams in the country. I think that's Duke, Virginia, Tennessee, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State are that top seven in some in whatever order you want to put them in. Um, I think those are the best seven teams in the country. So I would I would put money on those seven going deep. Uh, I agree with you. I think there's there's a clear line, but inevitably, just like there was Loyola last year who benefited from just a region that got completely busted up and, yep. and found their way in the Final Four, there's going to be – chances are there's going to be some sleeper team that, that makes the Final Four. We'll end on, on this. Connor, who would be your sleeper Final Four pick if you had to pick someone right now, not knowing any matchups or anything like that? Uh, sleeper, I think Houston would probably be my sleeper Final Four team. They're a three seed. Well, but th- okay. <laughs> Don't give me that sleeper. It's like picking Michigan last year. Fine, I'll I'll go I'll go tougher. I just think that nobody. I mean, Houston's picking up steam, but I just think that nobody is really talking about them. I would yeah. say, then I would go if if we're looking at you know what five or six seed and deeper. Probably I'm going to, I'm going to rehash it. I'm going to re- keep rehashing it until, you know, it, it comes true. I think Washington will be that team. I think that they, they run that Syracuse zone that gives t- the good offenses trouble. And Jalen Noel is, is really turning into a star up there in Seattle. Um, and I think that if they're given a, uh, a, a, a favorable seed. So if, obviously if they're that eight, nine seed facing a one seed in the second round, it, it'll be tougher. But if they're given, you know, a six, seven seed, I think that they can, they can do some damage. I mean, they, they've won what 11, 12 games in a row. I mean, they, they've caught fire here recently and they're the one pack 12 team that doesn't have a bad loss on the resume. So that's something they have going for them. I think Lucas, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're eight seed an eight or nine seed. And that's yeah, there's somewhere on there. I'm a little higher on Washington, I think, than most people. Um, I am at an eight line, but they're my top eight. Yeah. Uh, if they end up on the eight line, I know that's a game that no one seed is going to want to see in the second round uh, of the tournament. That's going to be a tough one. Lucas, who would, who would be your sleeper? Um, give me Baylor. Yeah. I'm going, I, I'm going with Baylor. Um, they are red hot, just scorching right now. And I, I am, I think that. They have a top-notch head coach. They're rolling right now in a conference that, although might be like beating up on it, on itself a lot right now, they're six and two in the Big Twelve. Tied for first, yeah, with a win over Alabama, just randomly tossed in there for fun. I mean, <laughs> this is a team that's going to get a seven or a seven or an eight seed, but only because they lost at home to Texas Southern and to Stephen F. Austin. They have two mm-hmm. abysmal losses, but this is a team that is going to be way, way underseeded because of their three bad losses at Wichita State on the road to that. Well, yeah, they're going to be an interesting case for the committee because they've changed so much since those losses, but that's always obviously still on the resume. How do you think the committee handles that, and, and how many seed lines would it drop them from maybe if they didn't have those losses on their resume? Um, I mean, I mean, I think without those losses, they're probably sitting around like the four. Um, I mean, there t- there are two, and then if you want to throw at Wichita State, um, in there, which I don't think is that bad a loss mm-hmm. on the whole, but if you throw out those two wins, I mean, they're all, they're twenty fifth in Ken Palm with those two losses. 
I mean, they are in great shape outside of those two games. I am on the eight line right now, but they are rising pretty quickly. Um, and I think that they can make a run to maybe the six or the seven, but I don't know if they get that much higher um, than that. I think from a resume point of view, they remind me a little bit of Houston last year. Um, who had that early season loss to Drexel that we all wanted to forget about on Selection Sunday. Um, and then they also lost to Tulane later in the year. So I think – and Houston ended up with, I think, a six seed, right? Lost to that three Michigan in the second round on yeah. the buzzer beater. Yeah, so I think that they'll sit around a six or a seven if they keep playing as well as they have. Can, can they maintain I, I, their shooting, though, is my question. Because overall, they're what? 34% from three, but they're leading the big 12 in conference play. I just, I don't like, I don't like picking teams that, that have this really weird, unreasonable stat that just doesn't make sense to me. That's fair. I, I really like the job Scott Drew's done. I think he, he's probably my pick for national coach of the year right now. There are a couple of guys you could put in that conversation. I, I think Chris Mack Louisville's one, another obvious one that comes yeah. to mind. But I, I Buzz would Williams. go – Oh, yeah, Buzz Williams. I mean, you put Tony Bennett up there, Rick Barnes. Uh, but right now I, I think I'd probably go with Scott Drew. My sleeper team, and I've been high on them all year, perhaps unreasonably so, is LSU. I think LSU is going to be a dangerous team on that, on that 5-6 line. They have a, a ton of talent, a lot of really high recruits who, who come in. They're athletic. They're long. They shoot well. They're inconsistent. But a lot of it has to do with their youth which was a problem for them early on in the year. Uh, they, they have they ice water at point guard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tremont Waters is, is insane. When he gets, when he gets going, I, I haven't been, I've kind of expected more from him this year, but when he yeah. is on, he's unstoppable. And I we keep and searching I, for the next Kemba is waters. The next Kemba. He, I mean, he has the potential to be as much as anybody. Uh, he just, I haven't seen him assert himself offensively as much as I would like. He started to do that. He dropped, what was it, 36 against Texas A&M the other day. And I know that's Texas A&M, uh, but anytime you score 36 points, that's, that's worth noting. Um, I, I love him at point guard. I love Naz Reed in the middle as a 6'10", 250-pound big guy who can handle the ball and play like a guard. Um, and they're a team that, because they're so young, they're mostly freshmen and sophomores in that rotation – They've really grown together this year and have improved a lot from November until now, and I think will continue to improve over this last month. I really like Will Wade as a head coach. And if they get in a good matchup, I think they're a team that, with the way they shoot the ball and their athleticism, could provide a, a major problem for a lot of different teams. So that hey, would be the team I'd look at. But since you said Trent Waters at 36, I might as well just go back to my team and say Mackay Mason at 40 against TCU. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Ivy League grad transfer who already beat up on Baylor in the tournament before I know I think it's funny that he ended up there because he yep. played so well against them in that upset yep. I think that's a that's a hilarious story yep alright well that is all the time we have tonight uh, for Connor Hope Lucas Harkins I'm Brian Ralph this has been the Busting Brackets podcast we'll be back next week uh, talk to you guys then alright thanks for having me on yep thanks guys see you guys Oh,